Father in heaven, we give you praise this day. I pray that our hearts and our minds would be full of awe as we reflect upon the salvation that has ransomed us from the clutches of hell, from the belly of Sheol, from fiery doom unto resurrection and eternal life in perfect reconciliation with the Father on the ground of the righteousness of Jesus Christ our Lord imputed to us because He has suffered for our sin on Calvary. Father, we pray that You would employ the spoken word, the preached word of Your timeless immortal truth to awaken in our hearts understanding and boldness and conviction of sin, conformity unto Jesus Christ our Lord. We also pray that You would use the storm now that is beating the southern shores of our land to awaken people in America, this nation in which we inhabit, that Jesus Christ is the sovereign of the seas. I pray that we would see these times of calamity where disasters come as your reminder that you are the only way of salvation and that judgment by water and fire is due all of those who do not walk in your ways, who do not submit to your way of salvation. We acknowledge that it is you who appoints the storm. It is you who hurl your waves and your billows over the seas. And like Jonah, Lord, we pray that we would soon realize your purpose in these events to demonstrate to us that you are King of kings and Lord of lords of nature, of the future, of history, of our hearts, of salvation. May we, your church, confess these truths as we learn them through Scripture boldly, proclaiming them to a world that is lost and dying and needs to hear the message of salvation in Christ alone. Guide us now by the power of your Spirit as we hold ourselves accountable to the truth that you have proclaimed forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise the Lord. I would welcome you to turn in your scriptures this morning. The beautiful gift of God's revelation comes to us today. We will consider it sampling from a sampling from Jonah 1:17 through 2:9. In our series in Jonah, we'll title this message "Beneath the Billows." What are billows? Waves, crests, and the uh, if you imagine tidal waves or huge, curling, massive amounts of water that wash across the seas, that crash into shores, and that are strong enough to capsize a ship and to drown a man depending on how God orients the forces of nature. Jonah himself fell victim to these kinds of forces in our text today. As he says, the billows, your billows in fact, the billows of the Lord Jesus Christ passed over him. His waves surrounded him. His flood threatened to drown him as he was cast into the deep, even into the heart of the sea. So let us learn, if we may, by the Spirit's use of this text today, what Jonah learned beneath the billows. The aim of this morning's message is to behold the effects upon the soul of the salvation which belongs to the Lord. Jonah confesses in his worship song and praise, in the heart of this fish which God had prepared and appointed to save him, he confesses the last words of his song in Genesis or in Jonah 2 verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. But this confession of faith, this realization of truth, affected his soul to the core. And God used extreme circumstances 
to bring him to this place of surrender. So let us consider these things today. If your Bible is open, I would encourage you to stand with me to Jonah chapter 1. Stand, if you would, out of reverence for the Word of God, and let us behold this timeless and immortal holy truth that we have before us today. Jonah 1.17 And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the, thri- of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land, whose bars closed over me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Would you say that last line with me? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. This is the Word of God. Turn quickly in your Bible for a moment to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 is the record of another prayer from one Solomon, son of David, who was commissioned by God in his providence to build a house, namely the temple. This was a prayer of commissioning of this glorious in this at this glorious time in Israel's history, before this glorious building and what it represented. Before I read this verse, let me just open our message this way. Little did Solomon know the extreme conditions under which his prayerful request would be answered as he, de- as he dedicated the temple in 1 Kings 8.29. I submit to you that Solomon could not have known the extent of the meaning And the comfort of these words and this advent of God making a place for Himself, finding favor with His people as represented in the temple. Listen to 1 Kings 8 verse 29, the prayer of Solomon. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart, to each whose heart you know according to all His ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. It's verse 39. It's a good one too, but I really meant to read 29. 1 Kings 8, 29. That your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer your servant offers toward this place. Remember that last line, if you would, as we dig deeper into Jonah's account. The last line being, Listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. 
Solomon could not have known how many people and under what extreme circumstances and conditions these words would provide comfort, assurance, hope, a lifeline for the soul. Nor could David have known how literally useful his songs would show themselves to be when he sang similar words or words that relate to our text today, also our worship text, Psalm 69, verse 1 and 2. Listen to these words and imagine Jonah's situation. David cries, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Or again, David writes in Psalm 18, 4 and 5, The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. One more example. I submit to you that neither could the sons of Korah realize how fitting their words would be in years to come as they cried. This comes from Psalm 42, 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Yet the prophet Jonah, as we fast forward through many years of history and the record of the Old Testament revelation, yet the prophet Jonah, for him, these words of Scripture were fulfilled and illustrated in profound ways indeed, even as he, no doubt, clung to them for consolation through his watery ordeal. Our passage today is framed by two distinct and dramatic events that set the stage to feature profoundly the salvation that belongs to the Lord. And back in our primary text, let's note them. The first is Jonah 1.17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This event of the swallowing by the sea creature of Jonah was on the heels of himself being hurled into the sea in verse 15. So they picked up Jonah, these the mariners on the ship, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. These men then feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. After verse 9 in chapter 2, where Jonah confesses that salvation belongs to the Lord, as the Lord has prepared this fish to save him, we see another event as kind of a bookend context for these moments in our text. It says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now during this time in between, when Jonah was thrown into the sea, and this, the uh, sea serpent or this, this giant fish puked him up onto dry land so he could go about the original call of God to bring the gospel to Nineveh, in between there, we find events transpiring in Jonah's experience that are unbelievable. They're incredible. We see that he was suffering as the waves, uh, uh, suffering this uh, watery death, getting closer and closer to the end of his own life, counting the seconds before his lungs would give out as he sunk beneath the waves and the billows of this stormy sea. And even when it was calm above him, nevertheless, his life was dead to rights as he sunk beneath the waves to the very foundations of this 
watery grave. The Lord provided a way of escape and a fish swallowed him. And now here he is and it seems some of the language that he uses to describe his plight, again as we say borrowing from the Psalms, suddenly these words of David and Korah make a whole lot more dramatic sense as we see them illustrated in Jonah's situation. He says, weeds were wrapped around my head, the bars upon me closed forever. The water closed in over me. He found himself cast into the deep, the heart of the seas, the floods surrounded him, the waves and the billows passed over him, reminding us again of the heart cry of the psalmist, save me, for the waters have come up to my neck. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. This morning, let us consider three features of Jonah's repentance. All of this happened beneath the billows. How did the effects of the salvation that belongs to the Lord move upon Jonah's soul in repentance? Three features of repentance we see in our text today. First of all, prayers of petition. That is, Jonah crying out for help. The second feature of Jonah's repentance Perilous experiences. The Lord used this life-threatening situation to bring him to a place of abandonment to the Lord and a place of desperately crying out for his salvation. And finally, praise for salvation. Jonah offers sacrifices of thanksgiving to the Lord for saving his body and saving his soul. Prayers of petition, perilous experience, and praise for salvation. Let us consider the first feature of Jonah's repentance, prayers for petition. In Jonah chapter 2, it says, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. I'm sure you guys have all seen movies that have an underwater scene. It can be a pretty dramatic way of illustrating to us in visual terms instantly the threat of being caught underwater. We used to hold our breath and see how long we could stay underwater when we were young, snorkeling or playing at the beach. And everyone's familiar, I suspect, with that sort of throbbing siren of loss of breath and restriction of the lungs as the water closes in on you. And it's a fearful, it's a psychologically terrifying state to be in. Even if you're just holding your breath underwater trying to beat your buddy and get a better time. You can imagine that feeling multiplied by untold, by, uh, untold times as you're caught underwater, this claustrophobia and pressure of the sea is closing in on you, And that siren sound of your own heartbeat about to give out if you can't get one more breath is a reality. And yet you cannot climb through the watery grave, as it were, to the surface to grasp your next breath, which is the only thing that will save you. In this situation, I imagine the camera in a movie, uh, the perspective on the deck of the ship, where the ship is sailing through the waves, And there's a certain amount of safety, although life is threatened with the waves pushing the ship back and forth, but the men have things to cling to as the waves lift and crash the boat up and down, up and down. 
Suddenly, Jonah commands, he tells them, throw me overboard, and the sailors, against their, wish, better, uh, against their wishes, their preferences, pick him up and throw him into the sea. And now imagine the camera angle switching from that peaceful deck now as the sea is calm upon Jonah's sacrifice to the ocean, and now the camera switching under the sea, and you hear that gurgling and that bubbling sound and a muffled cry as Jonah sinks beneath the waves. And this is where we find him in our text today, beneath the billows. And the occasion is his sinking and then subsequent swallowing by a giant fish. And notice this sequence of events. After he's been swallowed by the fish, while he is in the belly of this beast of the sea, he is crying out in prayer. But he's crying out in a prayer of thanksgiving saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. This would seem to indicate that before Jonah was swallowed by this monster, he was crying out, perhaps in his mind, as he's sinking beneath the waves. Oh Lord, save me, answer me, spare me from the belly of Sheol. I cry out to you, can you hear me? Now, have you ever heard someone cry from beneath the waves? Someone may be drowning right in front of you, and if you're not aware of where they are, They may sink to a watery grave without you ever knowing. But not so with the omniscient eyes of our Savior. He heard Jonah cry out from beneath the waves and answered his prayer of petition. Jonah's heart instantly changed from one of running away from the presence of the Lord to a heart condition of crying out for the presence of the Lord to intervene and to rescue him as he was sinking to his death. This was the occasion of his prayer of petition. Next, let's consider under prayer of petition how he describes his emergency. His emergency was more than just a possible drowning. He describes it in terms of this word Sheol. He said, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. This word may be familiar to you, but its connotations might be less familiar. Sheol is frequently used in Scripture, but it describes a place of death. It describes a place of loneliness and abandon. It's a word that could be used synonymously with hell, certainly the grave, certainly judgment. Some translations will say the underworld, which would be particularly uh, pertinent, applicable, appropriate in Jonah's case. You saved me from the belly, or I cried to you, In my prayer of petition, from the belly of the underworld. This uh, distress, finding yourself in the belly of Sheol, or in the womb of the grave, or the place of the dead, or the underworld, was frightening. For a believing soul, it was understood that in this place, the righteous would cry, must uh, cry, or cried out, chiefly because it was a place void of the presence of God, a place void of praise, a a place void of intercession of the temple. So that place of of belonging, of, of, uh, of reconciliation with the Lord in His presence that was typified by the temple order worship and the presence of the Lord that dwelt among His people in that way, the opposite of that, if you will, was Sheol. It was this place of a templeless existence, 
a templeless existence, a place with no priest, with no hope, with no sacrifice, a place of cutting off, of loneliness, of separation, of being victim to the devices of your sin, a life of fainting away, a future of darkness and foreboding and abandonment and horror. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came before you into your holy temple. Jonah juxtaposes two situations in his mind. The one is this fainting, sinking into the belly of Sheol, this templeless existence, yet in this place, as his life is fading before his eyes, as his body is throbbing for its next breath, as his uh, consciousness begins to black out before him, in his heart he cries out, and his prayer is heard and travels, as it were, into the Lord's holy temple. This was the emergency that Jonah felt. He felt something of the consequences of unatoned for sin. In this moment, he experienced this judgment, this deserving punishment, if he was not in right standing with the Lord. Because the Lord had given him faith and a Messiah to come in the future. He cried out for help in this circumstance. And his prayer was heard at the temple of the Lord. Remember 1 Kings 8.29, the prayer of Solomon? That your eyes might be open night and day toward this house. Lord, don't close your eyes. Don't rest. Stay awake. Stay present in this place. This place which you have said. My name shall be there that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And Jonah offered prayers toward the temple. He says, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. He says, my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And so we see the prayer request of Solomon answered in Jonah's experience when his prayer of petition from the belly of a, of a, of a fish uh, wandering around in the depths of the sea, that prayer nevertheless arose before the presence of the Lord in his temple, as it were, and was heard by the Lord himself. What was the effect? The effect of Jonah's prayer of petition was that the Lord heard and answered, as we have said. He answered me. I called to the Lord, verse 2, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Later in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, again we see, I remember the Lord, my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Let me ask you a question you may not have considered. Who was Jonah's priest? Who was Jonah's priest? Jonah certainly had a heavy weight of sin, which needed atonement, it needed a sacrifice. Yet in this moment of sinking into the depths of Sheol, Jonah wasn't where he needed to be. He wasn't at the temple with his priest, with the sacrifice in hand to atone for his sin. That visible sign of temporal covering was not available. Who was Jonah's priest? When Jonah prayed, he was crying out, but he had no one to intercede for him, no Levite that could bring his request before the Lord and intercede on his behalf. We've mentioned how the office of a prophet is a particular call where the man of God is called to speak to the people on behalf of God. 
But there was another office, and that was the office of priest. And the priest's agency, his calling was to speak to God on behalf of the people. Jonah was no priest. Jonah needed a priest. Who would speak to God on behalf of Jonah? I submit to you that Jesus Christ, the Messiah to come, was Jonah's priest. And his prayer was heard upon the future payment of his sin on the cross of Calvary. And so his prayer came before the Lord, before his temple, as it were, the place of salvation. And Jonah, his prayer of faith, was heard and answered by Almighty God. And Solomon's prayer came true in Jonah's case that the Lord's eyes remained open to see above the sea, beneath the sea, the furthest reaches, nooks and crannies of the earth, inside of fish even, so that those who turned their heart to the only place where salvation could, find, could be found would find a Savior, their prophet, their priest, and their king, and their future, and for us, fulfilled Messiah, or arrived Messiah. Second feature of Jonah's repentance, we've considered his prayers of petition. Secondly, let's consider a little more closely his perilous experience. Notice the terms in which, uh, which are employed, Jonah uses to describe the circumstances from which he needs salvation. These, I submit to you, are a metaphor of the salvation that all of us need in our heart and soul. That is to say, turn to verse 3, that is to say, if we are lost in our trespasses and sins, it's as if we were cast into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounds us. If we are lost, again, in our trespasses and sins, if we are slaves and victims to that original state of soul poison and spiritual death to which all of us enter this world because of the original sin of our spiritual parents, we are like those who are cast into the sea and the waves of the Lord and His billows pass over us goes further to say, Jonah describes in these parallel accounts in verse 5, the water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars, clo whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah is describing in this perilous experience a picture of depravity and the sinful condition as Bondage, drowning, slavery, imprisonment, and absolute death, destruction, and horrific end. These are descriptive terms. He says that he was cast into, into this situation. It surrounded him. It passed over him. It closed in over him. It surrounded him. The bars closed upon him forever. The weeds wrapped around his head. And where was this location? which he was totally overcome in the deep, the heart of the sea, and the flood, the waves, the billows, and the waters. This was poetic language to describe the utter helplessness of the state of man's soul, void of a Savior, void of a Messiah. Some of you know exactly what this means as you, read these, as you hear these words. Because life circumstances continued to match your eternal state more and more before you came to Christ. And it's as if you were, in spite of yourself and your every attempt to save yourself and row, as we've read earlier in the text, against a tempestuous storm, nevertheless you found yourself 
cast into the deep, into the heart of the sea, with a flood surrounding you, and the billows of God's justice and providence washing over your head as waves crashing again and again. If this is true, if you recall your circumstance and situation before you met Christ, you can certainly relate to this experience of Jonah, spiritually speaking, of being fully engulfed in the consequences of your sin and entirely unable to save yourselves. Listen, if it was a futile attempt for the sailors, the mariners, to row against a tempestuous storm to reach the shore, how much more futile was it for Jonah to row against the water underneath this sea as he tried to find safety and a new lease on life. He was dead to rights. This perilous experience could well correspond to baptism. There was a young man who was saved. We had the privilege in this church of witnessing his conversion. His name was Mitch, and some of you may remember Mitch. He's since moved on, and Mitch was radically transformed in his soul, and I remember sitting in that office back there with a TV camera rolling and we were recording his testimony. And the verses that he read, because they, he said they described his situation, were exactly the verses we are reading today. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Later on, the joyful vo- voice of Thanksgiving for salvation, but I with voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will repay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I'll never forget Mitch when he said, anyone who thinks about those verses very long will understand that they have experienced the exact same thing if they were once dead in their sin and now alive in Christ. He knew that this language This perilous experience that Jonah described was a metaphor for the soul of everyone who is desperately lost and hopelessly hopelessly, uh, condemned to judgment unless and until Christ would save him. If you have truly experienced salvation, you know exactly what Jonah experienced in in your own soul. Not just this perilous reality of the consequences of your sin, but also salvation against all odds where you were rescued and pulled from that certain doom in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. There are those, we have a baptism service coming up on the 17th. And those of you who will be baptized or are praying about it, consider these verses. It's a picture of baptism in a way. You cast me into the deep, the heart of the seas, the floods surround me, and the waves and billows passed over me. There's a description of water judgment here. Jonah deserved to be destroyed beneath the waves. After all, he had abandoned his Lord. He had tried to run away from his presence. And in his sin, he found himself in a place where the waters closed over him to take his life. And the deep surrounded him, and the weeds were wrapped around his head. But did God leave him there in those waters of judgment? No. The Lord pulled him through. The Lord saved him in this creature. The Lord spoke to this fish. He appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, to carry him through the waters of judgment. This baptism, as it were. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And later, the Lord spoke to this fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. A picture 
of death and resurrection. A picture of passing through unscathed the waters of judgment, crying out for the Messiah to save you. The Messiah taking the judgment that you deserve in Himself and then a resurrection occurs when you are brought out of this circumstance of certain doom unto newness of eternal life. In Jonah's experience, we see a picture of baptism. We see in the waters of baptism, we will witness this ourselves as a church in just a few weeks, that those who are brought beneath the water and then raised to newness of life, we see this picture that Though we were like Jonah, once dead to rights, though the waters of our sin closed in over us, though the deep surrounded us, we experienced a great salvation. A salvation that didn't belong to us. A salvation that could not have been engineered by the hands of man, by a church, by a collective, by a good, by a, a good-hearted soul, by anyone. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This perilous experience reminds us of other water judgments throughout covenant history. We think of Noah, do we not? Where the floods rose, then the rain fell, and the waves and the billows began to pass over the entire earth, with a few rare exceptions. Eight people brought in this ark to safety, to populate the new world. Why? Because they survived this perilous experience by hanging on to the word of the Lord. In this ark, whose one door represented the door of Jesus Christ unto salvation. Think of the opposite of this. Exodus 15, turn there briefly with me if you would. Again, a story of water judgment we've touched upon recently. Where God brings His people through, though they themselves feel dead to rights. They have the Egyptians behind them and the Red Sea in front of them. You know the story. The Lord brings them through, provides a way of dry land. They cross unscathed, but those waters then collapse. In Exodus 15, this act of the Lord's judgment is immortalized in song. As Moses and the people of Israel sing, I will sing to the Lord, verse 1, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His host He cast into the sea, and His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. Listen, the floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. You see the parallels here? This is the same story of Jonah minus the salvation part. This is the judgment of God's enemies where no fish, no ark, no dry uh, highway is provided for them. Your right hand, O Lord, verse 6, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. The blast of your nostrils, verse 8, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap and the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. And it goes on to celebrate a God worthy of praise because He judges His enemies by drowning them in the seas of perdition. And the only escape from this perilous experience is to receive salvation in the one way that God has provided. Symbolized by this pathway through the sea was the only way you could be go and be saved. 
symbolized by the ark that led the people through the waters of judgment in Noah's day, the only place where you could be saved. And this fish that was prepared to swallow Jonah, his only hope for salvation. That brought him, after three days and nights, to resurrection life, as it were, on the shores to once again be about the Lord's business. Perilous experience. The third feature of Jonah's repentance. Jonah's repentance made this... He's experiencing these kinds of things in his soul. His soul is reacting to the truth and the word of the Lord under these conditions and prayers of petition. The Lord's using these perilous experiences to draw him unto himself. And finally, we have praise for salvation. Notice in verse 4 and verses 8 and 9. By the way, this prayer of Jonah, this praise of Jonah, verses 1 through 9 or 2 through 9, it's kind of given in two couplets. Verses 1 through 4 are the first section, and then there's parallels in 5 through 9. Again, it's a mark of Hebrew poetry, and that's why it may seem, why, or that, that's why it may seem like our text is a little disjointed today. We're touching upon the parallels that fall into these themes. In verse 4, we have this praise of salvation. Then I said, Jonah speaking again, first person, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So there's this hopeful exclamation of praise to the Lord, of faith that his future will be in the Lord's hands. But this praise is paralleled and expounded and increases as Jonah then repeats his prayer and adds to it in verses 8 and 9. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And there again is our theme of this entire book I submit to you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. As Jonah confesses this statement of faith, he is praising the Lord for his sole proprietorship, his complete ownership of salvation. And in light of the Lord's mighty work on his behalf, He is vowing to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and to keep his promises now to the Lord who has kept his promise to him. There is a temple presence now that Jonah has found. We've mentioned this throughout, but notice in chapter 1 verse 3, Jonah's great sin was that he ran from the presence of the Lord, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. We've mentioned the correlation between the presence of the Lord and the Lord's temple. There was only one place symbolized by the temple where man could meet with the holy God and have his relationship established and restored. This was the place of God's presence with his people, the temple. And Jonah's sin is described in these terms. He ran from the presence. He sought to run from the presence of the Lord. Right now he's floundering in a fish. But in his heart, what does he do? He runs back to the presence of the Lord. He says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Whereas in my sin I ran from your presence now, in my prayer and petition and my praise, I set my sights on the place of your presence once again upon your holy temple. It goes further in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah is running to the presence of the Lord, and that's what his prayer pictures. 
Jonah also demonstrates in his praise for salvation. He demonstrates the best possible use, if you could say it in these terms, of his new lease on life. Best possible use of his new lease on life. Praising the Lord, glorifying Him for His salvation. It goes on in chapter 3 to record how not only does Jonah praise the Lord for his salvation, but he obeys the Lord. And so his praise and obedience illustrate what he will do now that God has saved him. We pray for salvation from life's you know, circumstances, sicknesses. We pray for a new lease on life for our loved ones, for ourselves, all the time. I remember a story of a dramatic healing that took place where a young woman was in a devastating car accident. And as I recall, I was young at the time, but as I recall the story told to me, her skull was crushed and it looked like she was probably dead to rights. And prayers went up for this young lady all the way to the hospital. And she, her life was spared and she's alive to this day. But it grieves my heart because in this individual's case, she is not walking with the Lord. Is that true salvation? To be miraculously spared from death by head injury, only to live a life running from the presence of the Lord? Is that salvation? No, it is not. True salvation is when we are spared not just body, but especially soul, and sometimes soul, even at our body's expense, to run to the presence of the Lord. In the book of Jonah, we see how he demonstrates in his repentance the best possible use of a new lease on life. Many people pray for healing. Many people ask for prayers. They solicit your prayers when the chips are down. But the real question is, what will they do? What will you do with your new lease on life should God restore your health to you 100%? Will you be like the nine lepers who didn't even return to Christ to praise Him? Or will you be the 10%, the one that goes back and worships Him as His Messiah? If you healed my body from this incurable disease, you must be able to heal my soul. I submit to you, I'll be your disciple. I will follow you. I can think of nothing better to do with my new lease on life. Often, prayers of salvation are uttered in this land and from our own hearts for ourselves. A kind of self-serving desire for intervention by the divine. We love miracles when we need them, but do we love the one that has the power to grant the miracle? Or do we love the one who's sovereign over the suffering in the meanwhile? Do we love the one and can we trust him that should we die under these conditions that our soul is hid in him and ultimately we will experience the fullness of our salvation in life eternal? Praise for salvation. Jonah's heart is awakening to these truths. He speaks of a horrific alternative. He says in chapter 2, verse 8, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who ask for salvation in their circumstances, but don't care about the fact that they have fallen short of the glory of God, they seek for something that is, in fact, a horrific alternative and will bring no salvation at all. They, those who pay regard to idols will give other things the glory for the good fortune in their life. What do they do? They forsake the hope of steadfast love. What is the hope of steadfast love? That's that chesed 
That's the gospel in the Old Testament. That's that covenant-keeping, binding power of a God who makes promises and a man who understands them, and that bond is forever. That's the relational bond of a holy God with a man who trusts in Him for His salvation. That's the steadfast love that Jonah knew in his repentance. That chesed love, there is no substitute. If these men who had been saved on the deck of the ship praised their idols for it, they would die in their sin and they would be judged. If Jonah didn't cry out to the one true God who could save him, he would have drowned beneath the waves and he would not have known the eternal security of that steadfast, patient, covenant-keeping, eternal promised love of the Lord. Finally, this morning, Jonah's praise for his salvation is expressed by sacrifice and by vows. He says in verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Notice the parallel in his response to the Gentile converts on the deck of the ship he just got thrown off of a little while ago. In Jonah 1, verse 15, So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These men, we see that as they were converted to Yahweh, the one true God, The evidence of this conversion overflowed in their hearts by sacrifices and vows, by praises to Him for their great salvation. And Jonah now joins them beneath the waves in the belly of a fish. This worship service in strange locations. I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. The assembly of the beloved was taking place in two locations at this time. On the deck of a ship who had just experienced the Lord's sovereignty over the waves to still their experience and save their lives from certain destruction and shipwreck. And in the depths of the water underneath them, inside of a giant fish, was the man who was thrown overboard as a sacrifice for stilling the storm. And he was doing the same thing down there that the men on the ship were doing up there, praising the Lord for his salvation, uh, vowing and offering the sacrifice of thanksgiving. This is the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace under all circumstances in all ages that the Lord demonstrates when He saves souls for His glory and namesake. And so today, whether it's overseas somewhere or in Providence Community Church right here, whether it's someone who is crying out for salvation even this day as they recognize their desperate need for a Savior, for Jesus Christ, What is universally experienced in the hearts of all true believers is this overwhelming sense, gratitude, joy, and praise. This desire to give our all to the Lord who gave His all to save us as it were. And then this confession of faith. Salvation is not mine. It's nothing I could do. I have nothing to boast of. It's by faith alone. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so we have considered today In the testimony of Jonah and company, the effects of the soul, effects upon the soul of the salvation, the sovereign grace of the one true God. I encourage you this day, if you find yourself beneath the billows in any sense, if there are difficult circumstances, 
that threaten to steal your joy, that feel like a circumstance from which you need salvation. Take your prayer petition to the Lord beneath the pillows and ask Him to intervene in His will, in His time, for His glory, for your sake. And consider the value of that perilous experience reminding you, no matter how hard you row against a tempestuous sea, there is no salvation in the efforts and works of man. But instead, with the glorious realization of Christ alone, praise Him that He has allowed you to experience His temple presence as you fellowship with God's people, celebrating next week and the week after as many as He should be gracious to give, that He has intervened on our behalf, resurrected us from certain death, prepared a fish as it were, prepared our Jonah as it were, who was in the belly of Sheol, in the place of the dead, in the grave for three days and three nights, and then arose from the grave to secure our victory over it in Him. Let us close in prayer. O Lord Jesus, we thank You for the mighty works that You have done to save our soul from the water judgment of hell that we deserve. The fiery flames, Lord Jesus, of ultimate doom, Lord, are no longer in our future because of Christ alone. We thank you, Lord, for the story that we have read today, the account of your servant, which pictures for us the effects of the, on the soul when we see ourselves in light of truth and cry out for salvation from the one true God, Yahweh. Thank you, Jesus that you were Yahweh in flesh, come to dwell with us and paid the sufficient price for our eternal hope. I pray this day as we think about these words that you would write them deeply upon the tables of our heart so that our sacrifice and our vows and our worship might be evident to all. They, when asking a reason for the hope within, would get a sermon of how we were saved from certain destruction unto resurrection, newness of life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's his, in His name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.